Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to have another presentation by my co-pastor and dear friend Dan Fisher. He actually preached it on Father's Day. We see in America how males are being attacked. The idea of manhood is being attacked and men are being more feminized. I hope that you enjoy today's message. It's entitled, Where Have the Warriors Gone? We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Over the last three weeks, lots of stuff has been going on, hasn't it? It's been one of the craziest periods of time I can remember. You know, typically on a Sunday, I'll get up here and share some letters from Arkansas or something like that. And uh, we have a lot of fun with that, mainly because I'm from Arkansas. But, you know, because of what's going on in the country today, I, I just, I don't feel like telling a joke. Uh, I am overwhelmed with what is happening to us. Now, you may think, well, it's, it's not so much happening in Oklahoma. Guess again. Guess again. It's just not as obvious, not as extreme as what's going on around the country. I mean, just think about, we were just a few hours away from Seattle. Just think about a mayor in the United States of America. Of course, Jenny Durkin is the mayor of Seattle, who in commenting about the commandeering by force of about six blocks of inner city Seattle by thugs and rioters, she says, well, it's like a street festival. Well, yeah, like in Tombstone, Arizona with, you know, gunfight at the OK Corral, maybe. Somebody said, well, what, what is it going to be like? She said, well, maybe we'll just have a summer of love. Summer of love? Here's a photograph from what's going on in Chaz, which now they've renamed CHOP. You tell me that looks like a summer of love. This is what is going on in cities around our country. Now, only in Seattle have they actually taken over six city blocks, but mayors all over the place and governors are just accepting this. It's just, that's just the way it is. Really? That's where we are? There's where we've come to? Now, Oklahoma is not immune. Just this week, on our way back from Idaho... I heard this nut job story. Now, uh, with all due respect to those of you who are OSU fans and maybe even Mike Gundy fans, I think he's a disgrace. When did football players When did football players start telling the coach what he can believe, what t-shirts he can wear? When did coaches have to start apologizing to running backs? Buddy, I played football, and I promise you the only person that did an apology is I made one to the coach after I picked myself off of the ground after he had knocked me to the dirt. And here the coach just wears a shirt, regardless of the, of the radio or television program or website that's listed on that T-shirt. He's out fishing. 
And a picture is shown, and that running back didn't like that. Now, here's the disgrace. Everybody has the right to their opinion, and if Chubba Hubbard didn't like that and he wanted to say it, that's fine. Here's the disgrace. Mike Gundy apologizes. He apologizes. But not to be uh, prejudiced, to be an equal opportunity offender, a previous star from OU, Baker Mayfield. I've been watching his pro career and actually been cheering on the Cleveland Browns even though I've never been a Cleveland fan. For Pete's sake, they never win. They don't know what that's like. But this week, when he was asked on social media about whether or not he was going to kneel during the national anthem, listen to what he said. He said to the person, pull your head out. I absolutely am. He goes on to say, I have the utmost respect for our military, cops, and people that serve our country. Well, then don't disgrace our flag. But he goes on. It's about equality and everybody being treated the same because we are all human. Well, duh, no kidding. If I lose fans, that's okay. Well, you just lost one. In fact, you just lost two. I couldn't give a rip if Cleveland has a worse record than they did have, and that's hard to do. I've always spoken my mind. Well, I don't fault him for that. But here is a guy who says he has all the respect for the authorities in our country, but he's going to choose, of all things, our flag and the national anthem to kneel. How about kneeling before or after? How about waiting, like a lot of Christian players do, and go out onto the middle of the field after the game and do your kneeling? Why is it that they have to dishonor the national anthem and the flag to make their political statement? Yeah, they've got the right to, uh, to voice their opinions, and so do I. And I'm going to. And it is time that the silent majority in America is no longer the silent majority. It is time. It is time that we speak out. I mean, did you hear what happened in California over the last few hours? They toppled more statues. They toppled a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. For Pete's sake. He was the union general that won the war between the states. And regardless of where you stand on all of that, at least he is credited for winning the war that freed the slaves. They also uh, uh, tore down a statue of uh, Francis Scott Key, who wrote the national anthem. In another city, they've turned over, of course, statues of Columbus. One of George Washington, in fact, the one of George Washington, they burned two American flags on it, one right after the other. There is a time when God-fearing, liberty-loving individuals have to stand up. They're standing up. How about we stand up? How about we say what we believe? Now, they have the right to say what they want to say. If they want to say it, say it. They have every right to do so. But so do I. Now, you may be saying, well, Dan, I didn't come here to hear politics. You're not going to. I'm going to segue this into a biblical message because I do believe that we have a responsibility as Christians to have a position and an opinion on these kinds of things. And it is time that you and I stop apologizing for what we believe. 
It is time that we stand up and say no. Now, some may be wondering, well, why is all of this happening? Well, John Adams, who I don't think intended to predict this, actually predicted this. Back in 1798, not long after the Constitution had been written and ratified, I want you to listen to what he wrote in a letter on October the 11th. You've heard this quote a thousand times. He says, our Constitution was made only, notice these words, words matter, only for a moral and religious people. It is holy, listen to that word, holy, inadequate, catch that word, inadequate, to the government of any other. Do you know why our founding documents no longer make sense to a good portion of our people and no longer seem to work? Because we don't qualify as a moral and religious people. And the very ones who penned those documents warned us that if there ever came a time when we became immoral and irreligious, then our documents would not serve us well. Unfortunately, friends, I have lived to see that day. I have lived to see a moment that our founders and framers warned us about. And in the midst of it, what is the church doing? Well, for the most part, not much. Most denominational leadership are apologizing. In fact, the Southern Baptist president has said that all uh, American Christians ought to apologize to all the different races. What do you mean apologize? I mean, you're asking people who never owned slaves to apologize to people who were never slaves. Now, I know that these kinds of words are offensive, and I apologize. I don't mean to be offensive. But I'm telling you guys, I have had enough. I have come to the place where I believe the church in one mighty voice, certainly loving all people. Friends, there are no races. There is one race. It is the human race. And the Bible says we are all of one blood. One. But we've come to a place where we need to stand up with one mighty voice and say, Enough! I mean, if you want to protest, fine. Don't start burning stores and looting stores. Don't start destroying statues. I mean, if you would just Google some of these guys, you'd find out they were actually on your side about the slavery issue. But apparently they're so ignorant they can't even do that. They defaced one statue, painted the face red and all this, of an abolitionist. Someone who actually fought slavery. Well, take the time to Google it. You might learn something, idiots. You might find out that you don't know nearly as much as you think you do. Now, why is all of this then being allowed to happen? Because the church has been so wussified that it's not led by men. It's not populated by men. And so the church folds under this pressure. The Supreme Court is making outlandish decisions. I mean, regardless of why they say they do what they do, the decision on DACA, I mean, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, actually wrote that they did not decide the case on its merits. Well, pray tell, what did you decide it upon? The weather? The particular clothing the president was wearing the day he made the executive order. Oh, I understand all about administrative rules and all that kind of stuff. You didn't do it right. We agree in essence, but you just didn't do it right. Do you realize that if this decision stands, 
Now, I'm hoping that it won't. I'm hoping that the president will get his team together and do whatever it is they've got to do to make it satisfy the, 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 the justices on the Supreme Court. But do you realize if they don't, this will set a precedent that a succeeding president cannot nullify an executive order of a previous president. Because you realize DACA was by executive order from President then Barack Obama. It's an executive order that is not a law. Every president in our history, whether you like it or not, has been able to nullify executive orders of previous presidents by their own executive orders because those are not laws. They're called executive orders. This is the first time that I know of, now I'm not a legal authority, but this is the first time that I know of that a sitting president has not been able to nullify a previous president's executive order with his own. This is the kind of dangerous ground that we're treading on and Christians are clueless because they are led typically by spineless preachers who are so afraid of offending someone and somebody getting up and walking out. Guys, let me tell you, I've had so many people get up and walk out during the times when I'm speaking. I'm actually surprised if someone doesn't anymore. I mean, we were doing Black Robe Regiment one night in a church in Yukon, Oklahoma, and an old gentleman with a walker got up and started yelling heresy and worked his way out of the middle of the, of the pew line that he was in and walked out the church yelling heresy the whole time. You know what I did? I talked louder. That's what I did. So the deal is, on Father's Day of all days, what should we be talking about? I think what we ought to be talking about is the need for men to be the men of God that God has called us to be. Now, I had an old portrait of Simeon Howard. I found one online. Unfortunately, it was a portrait that had been sold, and they put their website, but it's so much clearer, I went ahead and used it. Simeon Howard was a pastor, as you can see, at the West Church in Boston, And on May the 31st, 1780, in a Massachusetts election sermon, I want you to listen to what he said. There can be no doubt, but God often brings distress and ruin upon a sinful people through the ill management of their rulers, given up to error and blindness. Therefore, if a people desire to have rulers of wise and understanding hearts counseled and directed by heaven... They should take care that they be men who fear God. Where are preachers like that today? Where are Christian men like that today? Here's another election sermon. From May the 10th, seven years later, 1787, Elijah Goodrich, he was a Connecticut preacher. I want you to listen to what he said. Not only may a people be delivered into the hands of tyrants as the rod and scourge of heaven for their impiety and madness, but through their own folly, children may be their princes and babes rule over them. Such a people shall be oppressed, everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. It's like these guys were preaching this week. It's like they're looking at America today And they're preaching accordingly. You know why? Because truth never changes. 
Truth is the same in the 18th century as it is in the 21st century. And what these preachers are doing is they're warning American citizens that if men and women of God do not do their duty, then eventually God may turn them over to lousy leaders to punish them. Tell me that's not where we are. And I believe it's all because of the church, and so did those men. Now, I'm not typically a big Abraham Lincoln fan for a lot of different reasons that I won't go into now. But there are some things that he said that are true. And early in his career, in 1838, he said this. At what point, then, is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer that if it ever reach us, meaning America... It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be the authors and finishers. As a nation of free men, we must live through our times or die by suicide. That is exactly what we're doing. He said, let us not be slandered from our duty by false accusations against us, nor frightened from it by menaces of destruction to the government nor of dungeons to ourselves. Listen to what he's calling for. He's calling for resistance regardless of the personal cost. Let us have faith that right makes might, and in that faith let us, to the end, dare to do our duty as we understand it. Now regardless of what you think of Abraham Lincoln, he's right. He's right. And as I look around me, I see America committing suicide. We're committing suicide. We're destroying ourselves. Khrushchev may have been right. They won't ever have to lift a finger or fire a shot. We'll destroy ourselves from within. Now, how has this been possible? I believe because Christian men in particular pastors and church leaders, but Christian men nonetheless have lost the warrior spirit. So for just a few moments today, I want to ask a question. Where have all the warriors gone? Where have they all gone? On September the 11th, 1777, a battle was fought around Brandywine Creek. The night before on September the 10th, if you've seen my presentation, you know a 25-year-old Lutheran preacher named Joab Trout delivered a sermon. Listen to a portion of it. Tomorrow morning we will go forth to battle. For I need not tell you that your unworthy minister will march with you, invoking God's aid in the fight. We will march forth to battle. Now remember this coming from a 25-year-old preacher. Need I exhort you to fight the good fight, to fight for your homesteads, for your wives and children. I know you are strong in the might of the Lord. You will march forth to battle on the morrow with light hearts and determined spirits, though the duty of avenging the dead may rest heavily on your souls. And in the hour of battle, he said, when all around us is lit by the lurid cannon glare and the piercing musket flash, when the wounded strew the ground and the dead litter your path, then remember that God is with you. God the awful and infinite fights for you and will triumph. You have taken the sword, but not in the spirit of wrong and ravage. You have taken the sword for your homes, your wives, your little ones, for truth, for justice and right. 
And to you the promise is, be of good cheer. Your foes have taken the sword in defiance of all that man holds dear. They shall perish by the sword. And now farewell as he closed his sermon. Many of us may fall tomorrow. God rest the souls of the fallen. Many of us may live to tell the story. And in the memory of all will ever linger the quiet scene of this autumnal night. He was preaching just at sunset. When we meet again, may the shadows of twilight be flung over a peaceful land. And then he closed with God prosper the cause. A 25-year-old preacher was killed the next day at the Battle of Brandywine. Where are men like that today? 86 years later, on a different battlefield, there's a monument today that stands on Cemetery Ridge. It's a monument to the 1st Minnesota Regiment. At the time of the battle, July the 2nd, 1862, day two of Gettysburg, they had 262 men who were actually active for duty. As the Confederate forces were nearing Cemetery Ridge, there was a huge gap in the line. General Hancock rides up and says, are these the only soldiers we have to fill this gap? Because there were about 1,800 Confederates. Forget about whose side you're on, what you believe about that war. There were about 1,800 Confederates coming toward that gap in the line. They could see it too. General Hancock looks at Captain Colville and he said, excuse me, Colonel Colville, Colonel, do you see those colors pointing at the Confederate flags of about 1,800 men? He said, yes, sir. He said, take those colors. Now, you realize what he's doing. He's commanding 262 men to charge into some 1,800. He said, we all looked around us and we knew what that meant. Death and wounds to every one of us. But those 262 men charged down the side of that incline into a ravine. I've walked right down in there. I've been right there. And they hit those Confederates physically so hard they ran right into them that it stopped the advance of some 1,800 Confederate soldiers. 262 men. Out of 262, 215 became casualties in five minutes. One of the highest casualty rates of any regiment in the entire conflict. Here is a photograph of the Corporal William Irvin holding the tattered flag right after the battle was over of the first Minnesota. Where are men like that today? On the other side of those lines, on the very next day, July the 3rd, 1863, there was a southern regiment, the 11th Mississippi. This is their memorial on Seminary Ridge from the very spot where they began their march across a mile of open fields in what we know today as Pickett's Charge. As they went across that mile, they were under everything from cannon fire to ultimately not just solid shot, but what we call a musket balls, canister, and a can that would turn a cannon into a shotgun and sometimes take out 30 and 40 men at one swath. 
Once they crossed the Emmitsburg Road and climbed a wooden fence, they were now under the range of small arms fire, muskets, pistols. They made it all of the way to the Bryan Farm, which is right there at the wall. They made it all the way. Out of the 393 men who began that charge, 340 fell. One of the companies was Company A. They called them the University Grays because every one of those young men were from the University of Mississippi. In fact, so many of the young men left the university and joined the Confederate Army, they had to shut the school down. Every member of the University Grays was a casualty. Every member. Every member fell. Where are men like that today? In another continent, a hundred years later, in a place called Tiananmen Square, many of you remember this, a line of tanks moving against the protesters were stopped. The line was stopped by one lone man. They call him the tank man. We're still not quite sure who he is. One man standing up to those tanks. When they attempted to maneuver those tanks and move them to the side, you know what he did? He just stepped in front of it. When they maneuvered the tank the other way to try to get around him, you know what he did? He just maneuvered himself over. Now, he knew that he couldn't stop those tanks. But you know what? He did. He did. They backed away. Where are men like that today? John Eldridge, who wrote a book few years ago said that men are designed by God to be wild at heart. Well, I want to ask you, where are those men today? They're not filling most of our churches. At least if they are, they're silent warriors. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said this, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. And catch this next phrase, quit you like men, be strong. Quit you like men, be strong. In that book that Eldridge wrote entitled Wild at Heart, I want you to listen to what he said. He said, a man must have a battle to fight, a great mission to his life that involves and yet transcends every home and family. He must have a cause to which he is devoted even unto death. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. And we look forward to being with you next time for the conclusion of this message, Where Have the Warriors Gone? Until next time, may God richly bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org. 
or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.